you know, the gender norms were different. So social norms about whether women should be able to work, you know, there was more, much more, well, hopefully now less discrimination in the workplace, although that's, you know, it's something that's worth discussing in its own right. Um, and, you know, that's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other podcast itself. <laughs> Welcome to the Grattan Podcast Channel. You're with Megan from the Grattan Institute, and today we're discussing how to close the gender gap in retirement incomes. Australia has a persistent gender gap in retirement savings and incomes. Men's superannuation balances at retirement are, on average, twice as large as women's. Men also have much larger non superannuation savings. This means that women, particularly single women, are at a greater risk of poverty, housing stress and homelessness in retirement. Something for me to look forward to. So what's the solution? Many commentators, particularly those associated with the superannuation sector, advocate for more generous superannuation tax breaks to boost retirement incomes. A solution that could in fact worsen gender equality in retirement savings. Many also argue that we should increase the compulsory super guarantee to 12% even faster than by July 2025, as is currently legislated. And whilst other proposals to provide more top-ups to the superannuation savings of low-income earners, or particularly to women, are at least somewhat targeted at the problem, Grattan's recent paper on the best way to close the gender gap in retirement incomes suggests that in fact super is not actually the right tool to address this problem. I have with me today Australian Perspectives Fellow Brendan Coates, author of this retirement incomes paper, who will discuss why super isn't the right tool to close the gender gap and put forward some suggestions for how best to tackle the issue. Welcome, Brendan. Thanks, Megan. Brendan, the gender gap problem in retirement savings is a complex issue. What are the particular problems your paper has sought to resolve? So, look, Megan, there's really two big problems when it comes to retirement incomes for women. So women retire with comparatively less savings than men. And so they have relatively lower incomes in retirement. So for example, in 2015-16, a man aged 60 to 64 could expect to retire with a super balance of about $270,000, whereas a woman of the same age could expect to have about $157,000. So there's a clear differential there. And then because of that, women are also much more likely to experience poverty in retirement. So they're at much greater risk because of those smaller retirement savings and often because they don't own a home. And so, you know, these are two problems that are kind of related, but they're not necessarily the same thing. So we can care about the relative gap in retirement incomes between men and women, including, you know, amongst higher income earners, because the gap is persistent right up the income distribution between men and women. And then we can also worry about those that are at the bottom and women are overrepresented amongst that group at the bottom because, you know, the essential reason why is because they earn less during their lives. So the reason why we have a gap in retirement incomes and it's important to think of it as a gap in retirement incomes, not just retirement savings, and particularly not just superannuation savings. Because as we've discussed before in this podcast, a lot of people do actually save outside of superannuation. So super is not the whole story. Um, but the reason why there is this gap is essentially because women earn less than men over their lives. Now, there's lots of reasons for this. So women are much more likely to have uh, larger career breaks than men. You know, when they have children, they're much more likely to work part-time. Um, there also there is also you know evidence of a persistent gap in um, in wages between men and women even when they're you know for the same level of qualifications and so on and so forth, and so because women earn less than men over their life and you know it's a substantial difference on some estimates you know a woman with a bachelor's degree might earn just over two million dollars over their life, a man with the same bachelor's degree might earn three and a half million dollars so that's a really big difference that's based on some old work done by NatSem. 
And so because women earn less than men over their lives, and we have a contributory retirement income system beyond the age pension, everything else, it's really about you save for retirement, and then what, what you put in, you get back out. Hmm. It means that you end up with lower retirement savings, lower retirement incomes, and therefore greater risk of poverty in retirement. So let's talk a little bit about Australia's retirement income system. What, what exactly, how exactly is it structured? So the retirement income system really has four components. Some people talk about it in terms of three, but we prefer to think of it in terms of four. So you've got the age pension. So that sort of guarantees a minimum level of uh, income in retirement. So the age pension is subject to means tests based on household income and assets. It's supposed to have a minimum rate that sort of makes sure that you're not, you know, in absolute poverty. Then you've kind of got superannuation. So superannuation includes the superannuation guarantee, which is a man- mandate that you save a certain proportion of your income. It's currently 9.5% of wages. Um, that goes into a special superannuation account that's managed by a superannuation fund. You know, that money compounds over time. So the, the earnings on that money are reinvested. And over time, you end up with a, a superannuation balance. Now, in Australia, the super guarantee you know, only hit 9% in 2002, so the system's immature. So a lot of older people didn't necessarily have superannuation. Um, and it also benefits from pretty substantial tax breaks. So contributions to superannuation are, f- are taxed at 15%, you know, as opposed to rates of personal income tax. You know, so the top marginal rate is 47 cents on the dollar. Um, and also those fund earnings, so the dividends and other bits and pieces that sort of come back um, from investing those, those savings, they're taxed at 15% up until you retire and then they're tax-free. So there's really substantial tax breaks there. And for most people, super will probably supplement um, your retirement income of the age pension, but it's certainly not going to replace it. And we can talk about that. Then also you have other savings. So people don't just save through superannuation. Um, So these are either financial assets or investment property or people who save through their business. So if you're a small business owner, then you build up capital in your business. And then when you retire, you either try to sell that business to someone else or maybe your children will take it on. And the important point that we've emphasized before in our work on retirement incomes is that non-super savings are important. Like a lot of people save outside super and super itself is not actually the biggest pillar of the retirement income system. And if you think about it, if you've got a super guarantee that's supposed to raise overall savings, then if non-super savings completely disappeared as a result, then you wouldn't actually fully offset it, then you wouldn't actually be saving anymore. So the very, the very fact that non-super savings don't fall to zero when we increase the super guarantee is how we actually increase the amount of savings people have overall. And then finally, you've got the home. So, you know, the home is something that people normally purchase during their, most people purchase during their lives. They pay it off, hopefully by retirement. And then, you know, you're in a position where in retirement, you don't have to pay rent. So you're getting what economists would call an imputed rent from your home, which is the value of the home if you otherwise had to rent it on the private rental market. And, you know, that's only partly accounted for in the age pension assets test. So only, you know, the value of the home above up to 200,000, the first $200,000 of the home is included in the assets test and everything else is excluded. And so they're the four pillars of a retirement income system. Other people split out superannuation, guarantee the compulsory component from the voluntary part. Others, um, you know, split compulsory and voluntary savings, but ignore the home as part of the as a separate part of the system. But in general, these are kind of the main pillars. And the point is that the age pension is kind of the pillar that's sort of designed to ensure that people have a minimum living standard in retirement so as, as to not fall into absolute poverty. So so we've got the four pillars. You've got age pension, superannuation guarantee, voluntary private savings, and home ownership. How important are each of these pillars? 
So at the moment, super is actually the least important pillar in the sense that for those that are approaching retirement, their superannuation balances are much smaller than either the value of their home, the value of their other assets they have outside of super, and are actually lower than the value of the age pension that someone you know that's close to retirement can probably expect to receive over their over their retired years. Now, obviously, that's going to change as you know super the super system becomes more mature. People have been saving at least nine point five percent of their say of their earnings for their entire life. But super remains the smallest retirement income pillar, even for those aged 45 to 54 now. So most of those people, you know, maybe if a 45-year-old started work 20, 20 years ago, they pretty much had the 9% super guarantee for all of that period. And we actually see that amongst younger households, non-super savings are still important. So supers, you know, it's part of the story, but I think it gets conflated as being the whole story. And uh, should we care about individuals or households living household living standards in retirement is that an important part of this this is a really interesting question i think it goes to the heart of you know how much you care about the gender gap in retirement incomes and retirement savings well as the female here i'm going to say a lot yeah precisely <laughs> and you know quite reasonably a lot of people do and it's um you know the, the senate inquiry um the senate committee inquiry into this issue the title of the report was a husband is not a retirement plan wow so, you know, they have a very definitive view. Um, the, the, the tricky thing here is that there are trade-offs, right? So, you know, most households pool resources. So, you know, obviously we've talked about this problem a little bit in terms of, you know, if you're a single person in retirement, you are at quite high risk of poverty, particularly if you are a woman. Um, whereas if you're in a couple, the question is how much do we care about the fact that you're in a cu- that you might be the, the, the secondary income, income earner in a couple, you might have even been part of a household, you know, as many households are, that where the secondary income earner just didn't work. Mm. There, there was no secondary income earner. Instead, they, you took on traditional gender roles to look after ch- children. And if you looked at the relative, you know, savings of the man and woman in that household, it would look really stark. If you assume that households don't pool resources, then it would look like the woman in that household that never worked would in fact be at very high risk of experiencing poverty and, you know, if you took it to its extreme, you'd kind of ask the question, well, how are women taking large periods of time out of the workforce and still surviving? And the answer is because most households pool resources. Mm. Now, of course, there, is some author- there are some authors um, in the Australian cost context that, you know, argue that, that there's unequal ownership and control of assets within households. So, you know, either because the man has often been the primary income earner, maybe they, the woman might control. The, the, the standard meme is that, you know, women control the, you know, the checkbook that men actually control what the money gets spent on. Or you might have unequal distribution of, of sort of assets. So, you know, some, one person might have more assets than the other and there's, you know, there's power relationships that you've got to think of. But the point here, I suppose, is that most Australian households do pull resources and our retirement income system currently assumes the households pull resources. So the age pension, you know, means test operates on the basis of your household level assets and income. So it accounts for both you and your partner. Um, and if most households do pool resources and then we ignore that when thinking about how to best provide support, particularly to those at the bottom, then you're probably going to have to provide a lot of support to people who individually look like they're quite poor, but are actually part of households that are pooling resources that are quite wealthy. So it means that you'd have a much less targeted tax transfer system if you did that, um, which either means you have a much lower value of the pension and you're spreading those benefits more, the existing pool of expenditure on sort of social security more widely, or the flip side is, you know, you've got to move to something with a much higher level of taxation. And, you know, that's probably inconsistent 
with sort of culturally where Australia has been. And it would be an enormous move if we went down that path. So if you've got the existing amount of assets that we have, then switching to um, ignoring household pooling of resources and targeting on the basis of individuals, you're probably going to make absolute poverty worse. So you're going to split the, the divide between rich and poor will get worse in order to close the gender gap. Now, there's no really good answer here. Um, but I tend to think that that because most households do pull resources and we have information for that, we have to be careful about just assuming it should all be at the individual level. Mm. So moving on to solutions, there have been many commentators who've put forward proposals on how to close the gap in retirement incomes, mostly using super. Why won't these ideas work? What should be considered when discussing reforms to address this? Well, I think the reason why a lot of them don't work is they're not accounting for the full costs that they will impose and how they interact with other objectives of the retirement income system about what you're really trying to achieve here. So, you know, one of the things you probably don't want to do is you probably don't want to lower the incomes of working age of working age people, particularly if you're trying to improve the retirement incomes of those that are at the bottom of the income distribution. The reason they have low retirement incomes is because they don't earn very much during their working lives. And so... You know, if you increase the superannuation guarantee to help that group, then what you're potentially doing is lowering their working their incomes during their working lives. And you really don't want to do that unless it's very obvious that people are not, say, lifetime consumption smoothing. So, for example, they're not increased, they're not sufficiently uh, saving enough for retirement now in order to have enough, um, you know, in the future. Um, and, you know, as we'll talk probably about a little bit later, there's not much evidence that that's actually happening. One of the other things you probably want to do is make sure you're not just helping those that will be future retirees. Like this isn't just a problem that will be experienced by say, Megan, you today, who mm-hmm. when you retire in 30 years time, it's, you know, the people who have gone through life with lower retirement incomes, or sorry, lower working age incomes for lots of different reasons. You know, the gender norms were different. So social norms about whether women should be able to work, you know, there was more, much more, well, hopefully now less discrimination in the workplace, although that's, you know, it's something that's worth discussing seen. in its own right. Um, and, you know... That's a the, whole other podcast. That's a whole other podcast <laughs> itself. And, you know, in the past, for example, the, the the rules around divorce, the Family Law Act didn't actually formally account for superannuation when there was a distribution of assets. So it meant that, you know, before 2002, you know, the woman might get the house, the man might get some of the shares or other property that are, that are around, and everyone would forget that, the man would have superannuation from being the primary income earner that would then become available only at the age of 65 because we had defined benefit pensions, you know, where you got paid a fixed proportion of your end wage as opposed to what we have now, which is like a pot of money that sits in your super fund that you can manage now. And so you can see it as an asset. Mm. And so you really got to care about not just future retirees, but retirees now, because those that are actually doing the worst are probably those that you know, are on the pay age pension now. So when we talk about, you know, the, the rates of poverty amongst single women, particularly if they don't own their own homes, you know, it's really high. And that something that fixes superannuation isn't going to do anything for that group. You probably also want to make sure, I think, as you said in your introduction, that you don't make one problem worse in order to fix the other. So if you're going to try to fix absolute, uh, if you don't want to increase absolute levels of poverty in retirement, you probably also don't want to, at the same time, increase the relative gap in retirement incomes between men and women. And, you know, lots of the proposals to increase super tax breaks could definitely make that worse because they give more of the benefits to men 
than to women. Right. Um, then there's the budgetary costs. Now, you know, we've heard a lot over the years for, through the government's intergenerational reports that, you know, the population is ageing and budgetary costs of the retirement income system are growing. Um, previous Grattan work has also shown that, you know, we're probably spending too much on those things now compared to where we should be. And so you want to, if you're going to spend more money to try to fix the problem, you probably want to have it as tightly targeted as low income earners as you possibly can. And where possible, if you can close the gender gap in retirement incomes by reducing the budgetary costs of the system, that's kind of the way you should go. Definitely. And it would also allow you to then do some other things with that money that might help close the gender gap in retirement incomes and also the gender gap in lifetime incomes. Mm. So that women, if, if women are not working as much because we've got high effective marginal tax rates on secondary income earners, because the way the tax system interacts with childcare, interacts with family payments, then you can do something about that. And finally, you want to make sure the system's administratively workable, so it's not too complex. And so using the existing retirement income system to fix the problem is sensible because it doesn't add to the administrative costs associated with the problem. So can you step us through some of the proposals that have been put forward and why it is that they won't work? So I think the, the elephant in the room is the super guarantee. Like mm. this is the one, you know, that certainly since the paper has been released has been the one that's caused the most um, consternation amongst some stakeholders. And so the superannuation guarantee is currently set 9.5% of wages. It's scheduled to go to 12% by 2025. Um, it was going to go faster under the former Labor government, that, but the coalition slowed it down, slowed down the pace of those increases. And, you know, the reason why I don't think it'll make a huge difference or it's not necessarily the right way to go is for, well, for a few reasons. Um, first of all, it lowers the incomes of working age Australians now at the point when wages growth is pretty weak. And if your purpose is to try to boost the retirement incomes of those that are at the bottom of the income distribution, it doesn't make a lot of sense to make them wealthier in retirement by making them even poorer during their working lives. Mm. And there's lots of evidence that rates of financial stress, you know, measured by the number of people that struggle to pay bills on time or don't hit their home, it's actually not that different between working age people and pensioners. And it's particularly bad amongst working age people who are on welfare, which is unsurprising because Newstart hasn't you know, kept pace with um, wages growth for a long time. So, you know, there's a trade-off between boosting um, retirement savings and reducing, you know, consumption today by reducing someone's take-home wages. There's no magic pudding when it comes to superannuation. And so one of the things, you want to make sure you've got the balance right. So you've got to think about what kind of retirement income people, you know, really need. And so the way that we tend to do this in the retirement income system is we look at replacement rates. So what proportion of your pre-retirement income will you get in retirement? And the benchmarks that tend to be used is that for the OECD says for a median income earner, you want to replace 70% of your pre-retirement earnings after tax. Um, and for a lot of low income earners, particularly those earning less than 50% 50, 50 of full-time full -time earnings, those replacement rates are well over 100%. So people are already having a higher living standard in retirement than they are during their working life. That doesn't mean to say that that is an adequate living standard in retirement overall. Like that, you could still be experiencing poverty in retirement and have a high replacement rate because you were even experiencing even greater poverty during working life. Mm. Um, because the pension might be a better deal for you than what you were doing when you were working. Maybe you were, you know, you were incapacitated in some way. You may have had some sort of disability. There may have been something else going on in your life. You might have to be caring for someone, and therefore that's that's an area where you see very high rates of poverty. And so. Um, it doesn't make sense necessarily to increase the superannuation guarantee to help low-income earners, particularly women, when they're already experiencing a higher living standard in retirement than during working life. And if you're worried that they're still experiencing poverty in retirement, you probably should use the pension to help them instead. And so, you know, as a way of going, this doesn't seem like the right way to go. And it's the same with, say, things like the um, uh, proposals to increase the amount of super tax breaks. 
the idea being, of course, that there are women who are in middle to middle age that would like to make catch up contributions to super, but just can't because you know somehow the existing contribution caps are sort of preventing them. But there's very little evidence of that. So you can contribute twenty five thousand dollars a year pre tax to your superannuation each year. Now we know that of those that um, would otherwise hit that cap, almost all of them are men, and almost all of them are high income men. And the reason very few women make contributions of up to $25,000 a year is because they don't have that much income. There are, if you return to work after having a child, you work part-time, maybe you're not working at all, maybe you've come back into the workforce after a few years out, all this essentially means that you don't have the income to make those large contributions. And so this could actually make the gender gap worse. And of course, it's not gonna help absolute poverty, reduce the risk of absolute poverty because you know if you don't have much in the way of earnings, you don't have much, you're not gonna save much more in super. Um, the other proposals that are put forward are ideas of, say, superannuation top-ups. So, you know, instead of just giving increasing the super guarantee to everyone, what we'll do is we'll give a contribution from the government to your superannuation account if you meet some conditions. Now, the low-income superannuation tax offset, which was um, abolished by, planned to be abolished by the Liberal Party or by the coalition and then reinstated, um, at the last minute, was essentially one way of doing that, which would have allowed, which essentially gives uh, low-income earners um, refunds the tax they'd other pay on the, otherwise pay on those super contributions. The big one that's really talked about much more now is an idea by Industry Super Australia. That's set, it's called the Super Seed. It will essentially give a $5,000 a year contribution to people who I think it's the ages of 27 to 36 if they're in the, they've got an income, say, below $37,000 a year. Now, the trouble is it's really expensive. On our estimates, it could cost about $4 billion a year, wow. which is enormous. Mm. Um, and also, you know, as we spoke about before, about whether you care about households or individuals, because you're only targeting on the basis of individuals' income, you know, there's lots of people that have low incomes even when they're young. They end up having either high lifetime incomes as individuals or particularly a part of households that end up with high lifetime incomes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the idea is to sort of help people during their, particularly women during their child childbearing years, and therefore if they're not in the workforce, you give them this contribution. But we estimate that roughly a quarter of the payments would still go to the wealthiest 50% of households. And so, you know, that's more targeted than the other super top-ups. It's certainly more targeted than the tax breaks, but it's probably not the most targeted way to really solve the problem. Mm -hmm. So then what could work? Your paper suggests two reform priorities, correct? Yes, that's right. So the first one is um, actually to reduce the value of superannuation tax breaks. So if a lot of the value of those is going to high-income earners, most high-income earners are in fact men on an individual basis, then if you scale back those tax breaks, you will actually close the relative gap in retirement incomes. So Industry Super Australia estimates that about two-thirds of the benefits of super tax breaks go to men and one-third go to women. So you know, these, to the extent that we've got a, 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 um, a relative gap in lifetime earnings between men and women, our retirement, retirement income system currently makes it worse rather than better. Now, so a lot of those super tax breaks are going to those that don't actually need the, the money in the sense that they're not fulfilling the purposes of, of the super system as set out by the government to supplement or substitute for the age pension. And so because of that, um, you're essentially giving a whole bunch of money to people who boost their retirement incomes. They're undoubtedly better off because you're giving it to them, but you're not actually saving anything in terms of those long run pension, pension costs. Um, in fact, there's some work that was done by Treasury back in 2014 2013, sorry, for um, the Super Charter Group report that essentially estimated the long run budgetary costs of the super guarantee in general. And it actually found that 
the super guarantee is actually costing the budget money right up out until 2050 and beyond. Because the value of the tax breaks that you're giving up up front is larger than the value of the pension increases you get, pension savings you're getting. Now, eventually, on these on these this modelling, you'll get to a point where the pension savings exceed the 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 tax breaks each year. But you're looking well beyond 2050, and in between, you're probably adding debt of about 10% of GDP on top of where um, of extra 10% of GDP in debt that you because you're foregoing that budgetary revenue on the tax breaks. And before you even get to the point where you break even on a year-to-year basis in about 2060. Wow. So, you know, it's not a very good deal at the moment. And that's mm. kind of why this increase in the SG is actually not the greatest proposal for the budget either. So if you, um, obviously the government changed the um, super tax breaks in the 2016-17 budget. They eventually got a, a revised package negotiated, which was kind of had the same kind of impact as what their initial package did. But we had to go through a federal election to get there. Now... We've gone from a world where someone on the, at the 95th percentile probably gets two and a half times the benefits um, of someone at the 10th percentile of the income distribution. And we've gone to a world where now someone at the top end is getting about double the benefits of someone at the bottom, but there's still a lot more you could do. So we recommend three reforms. Capping pre-tax contributions at $11,000 a year. Uh, it's currently $25,000. Mm-hmm. All those that you, you contribute more than $11,000 a year are pretty much high income earners that are probably not going to benefit from the pension. If, you, if you're if you on one and a half times average earnings, you would be at about $11,000 a year of contributions. Now, the second one is to start taxing earnings in retirement at 15% as they already are for those below um, retirement age. The government started to do that for those with balances about $1.6 million. That's obviously really high. $1.6 million per person or $3.2 million as a couple is an enormous amount of money compared to, say, the cutoff point for the age pension, which is about $800,000 for a couple. Mm. And then the third one is... such a disparity? Well, it's... It's look. It's a hard thing to scale back. Um, you know these these tax breaks have been in been in place. You know for quite a while now. The tax tax free earnings has been in place essentially since the super scheme was started. But you used to have to pay tax on your withdrawals if you're a high income earner, mm. and that was changed in the Howard Costello years back in two thousand and six. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the reasons why the super system is costing so much more than it ever used to. Mm. But then, so look, that'll help you close the relative gap in retirement savings, but it's not going to do any anything for, you know, those at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly, you know, the group that we talked about at the start, though, women, if they, um, particularly women, if, um, if they find themselves single as they approach retirement, you know, could find a much more likely to experience poverty. So what we also recommend is that you use rent assistance as the way of helping those um, that are most at risk. It's the most targeted thing you can use. So um, if you increase rent assistance, 90% of benefits go to those in the bottom two wealth deciles, so the bottom 20% of retirees by wealth. Now, that's far better targeted than anything else you could possibly do. It's much better targeted than increasing the pension. And so we suggest that if you increase the rent assistance by $500 a year, that would cost you, for retirees, it would cost you $250 million. Now, $500 a year is probably not enough, but... So you could do more than that and it would still cost you a lot less than increasing the superannuation guarantee. Hmm. So, you know, maybe it's got to be $1,000 a year and that'll cost you $500, $500 million a year. 
Um, it also builds on the existing system and it inherently helps women more because, you know, women live longer. Like, you know, everyone talks about the gender gap in retirement incomes. No one talks about the gender gap in life expectancy, which obviously is hurting men. <laughs> Terribly sorry for you. I know, it's probably a result of our own life choices, but you know, that's a story for another day too. Um, and so, you know, the same increase in per, per year increase in the rent assistance or the pension is going to do more for a woman than it is for a man because they will on average live longer. Hmm. So the whole point here is that if you're trying to help those most in need, you've got to target it at the problem. And the best way to target the problem is to certainly help those that are renters. All the evidence suggests that renters are those that struggle in retirement. If you own your own home in retirement, yes, there is a certainly risk that you can be experienced poverty, but you're at much less risk of experiencing poverty than if you're a renter. If you're a renter and you're in retirement, look, life's pretty tough because you might, particularly if you live in an inner city area, rent assistance grows in line with CPI, with inflation, but rents grow faster than CPI. So what's happened is a lot of low-income pensioners who didn't own their own home for, for lots of different reasons, you know, the home ownership rate's 70%, but that still means that 20 to 30% of older Australians don't own their own home. Not that many of them are in public housing. There's only about 5% of the housing, 4% of the housing stock is public housing. So most rent, and they've found that they've been priced out of the suburbs they, they've always lived in because they've essentially... You know, they, they, their incomes don't grow and housing costs have risen around them. Whereas if you're a homeowner, you're insured against, basically you're hedged against rising housing costs because you own your own home. Mm. So look, the point is that if you do this, you'll help renters through increasing rent assistance. That'll reduce the levels of absolute poverty. And if you close down some of those, um, you know, there's, there's excess superannuation tax breaks that are mainly helping high income men, you'll close the relative gap in retirement incomes and savings. And then you can use that budgetary money from... Uh, those super tax breaks, which we estimate is about $4 billion a year, which is an enormous amount of money in the context of the retirement income system and the budget, then you can either use that to either close, like help close the budget deficit, which is like an ongoing problem that is you know, not getting probably the attention it deserves now. But you could also use it to say reform um, various aspects of how, um, how the tax system treats secondary income earners. So we have very high effective marginal tax rates for, for secondary income earners. Now that doesn't have to be the woman, but for whatever reason, the way it is framed culturally, maybe because most jobs still come in full-time form mm -hmm. for the primary income earner, um, it ends up being, you know, the, it's seen as like the secondary income earner, which tends to be the woman who faces the high EMTR when it's really the household that faces, faces the high EMTR. Um, you could lower those, those um, higher effective marginal tax rates by smoothing out um, the taper rates for various payments and benefits. That would cost you some money, but you could use some of the budgetary revenue from closing that gap in reducing the amount of super tax breaks to solve the problem. And we think that this, these two reforms would be a much better way to try to close the gap in, in um, retirement incomes than trying to either increase the super guarantee or particularly compared to expanding super tax breaks. Now, Brendan, that all sounds very good. But since you released the paper, there are some, such as the Association of Superannuation Funds of Australia, for example, who've suggested your findings are a step backwards for closing the gender gap. Um, as a single working female, should I be worried about what you're trying to do here? Uh, look, well, I think the exact quote was that I was trying to return women to the Victorian era. I do believe that was the exact quote, yes. And, you know, the fashions of the time were quite interesting, but I don't <laughs> think in and of itself Very that binding. would be a good thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, you know, probably not the, I wouldn't volunteer to, to have to, to dress like that no. as a man or a woman, I don't think. <laughs> um, but look, it really comes down to what the trade-offs are. And I think the, the issue that we have in, in the retirement income space is that most of the dominant voices that are talking about 
retirement income adequacy are coming from the superannuation sector. They're coming from a group, whether you know, through, as a result of vested interests or genuine policy, you know, caring about genuine public policy, are only focused on what happens in retirement. Mm. They're not focused on what happens during working life. Mm. And so if your sole objective is to boost retirement incomes, and you don't actually, you're not that worried about what people experience before retirement, then yes, of course, so increasing the super guarantee is gonna be a way of you know, increasing retirement incomes, but at what cost? And we would say that there are certainly far better ways to increase retirement incomes than to increase the super guarantee. And you know, this is this is at a time when you know super fees are accounting for one percent of GDP each year. The system is a lot less efficient than it should be. So why would you want to give more money to the superannuation sector to run that when it's not being run anywhere near as efficiently as it should be, as previous Grattan reports have shown um, by our productivity program director Jim Minifee, when you can use something as tightly targeted as the pension and particularly rent assistance to help solve that problem. Thank you so much for your time today, Brendan. Fingers crossed that some sensible reforms will make sure that my retirement future will be secured without ruining my current financial situation. (laughs) Uh, If you'd like to download a copy of Brendan's paper in full, head to our website, grattan.edu.au. And if you would like to follow Brendan's insights, follow him on Twitter at Brendan Coates. As always, you can stay up to date with all of Grattan's news reports and events by subscribing to our Twitter at Grattan Inst or on Facebook, Grattan Institute. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, then help your friends to find it by heading over to iTunes and leaving us a rating or review. Thanks for listening. Grattan Institute is uniquely positioned to bring an independent, rigorous and practical lens to big issues in public policy with the capacity to talk honestly to both sides of politics. We maintain this unique position through the generosity of the public and our affiliate companies. If you would like to find out more about contributing to our continued independence, head to our website to donate, grattan.edu.au. This has been a Grattan Institute podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes.